Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head, challenged by their thoughts, the voice in their head, and their beliefs. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Add Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by the newly released book, The Entrepreneur Mindset Shift, Growth Characteristics of Success by Robert C. Peterson. Available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at addvalue2life.com slash shift. Our guest, Patrick Huey, is a certified financial planner, chartered advisor in philanthropy, and an accredited tax preparer. He earned a bachelor's degree in history from the University of Pittsburgh and a master's of business administration from Arizona State University. Patrick served nine years as a U.S. Naval flight officer, earning the Strike Fighter Air Medal during combat operations and two Navy Achievement Medals. He's the author of History Lessons for the Modern Investor and the Seven Pillars of Investment Wisdom. Patrick Huey and I discuss history and the lessons that can be learned from our past and used to create a better future in finance and in business. Patrick has combined his love of history with his desire to help others and uses stories from our past to teach business and finance concepts. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for joining me today. Just looking forward to a great conversation, and I'm excited to uh, learn some history and, and how history should be impacting our choices. Yeah, this is very cool. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, so typically I always ask entrepreneurs kind of how they got their start and, and what moved them into uh, working for themselves. Yeah, you know, I've basically been uh, been blessed, I suppose, is the best terminology. And, you know, I, I know you uh, had Kurt Mercandante on the show a few episodes ago. I'm trying to I'm trying to take his advice and stop using the word luck. Um, <laughs> but but I've been blessed enough to, to really live the American dream twice uh, in, in my lifetime. Um, you know, my, my first passion, what I wanted to do when I was a kid was fly airplanes. Um, and I spent nine years, uh, in the Navy, uh, flew the F-14 and the F-18F and, uh, left there as a, as a flight instructor in 2003. Um, uh, that was, uh, the culmination of, you know, my, my dreams of the first half of my life. And then pretty quickly, when I got into the civilian world, um, I became somewhat disillusioned with uh, the corporate world and politics and, and the things that went on that uh, didn't really have anything to do with uh, the, the mission or the job. <laughs> and uh, I started looking for you know, what I was going to do next that was going to make me happy, what was going to be the best way for me to service clients. Um, and over a long process, it became clear that the only way to do it was to have full control, um, and to start out and, and get out on my own. And, and that's what I did in, in 2016. Nice. Well, definitely want to thank you for your service and, uh, <laughs> my a little, pleasure. A little envious. I, uh, that was, that was my, uh, one of my dream. And, uh, when I enlisted, in the Marines. And the very first thing that happened is the medical exam. And they said, uh -huh. Oh, you need glasses. Uh -huh. And so for the first time in my life, I needed glasses, but it also at the time shattered my dream. And I never, I never, obviously it was enlisted. So I hadn't, hadn't completed college yet. And then by the time I did complete college, uh, God had me on a completely another path. So, Absolutely. But, but isn't that the beauty of the podcast uh, format? Now we can have an enlisted Marine and a Navy officer having a, uh, a collegial conversation and that that's not always the case <laughs> well and and you know that was one of those odd things uh in the military that was one of the reasons that that i got out was yeah. the idea that that this group of people who have a college degree happen to be so much better and have a higher standing and you know the idea that you can't fraternize between right. officers and enlisted and i understand obviously all of the the, the motivation behind that, you know, in, in, you know, time of war and, and these sure. things, but, but spend enough time made non-commissioned officer and definitely understand the realities of, of how a unit functions, how leadership works. And 
Well, I think a lot of I think that's interesting because number one, the aviation community is notorious for breaking those rules. Um, <laughs> sure. And uh, and number two, you know, we we talked a little bit about one of my other passions, which is history. And you've got to realize that the history of that uh, of that delineation between enlisted and, and officer goes back hundreds of years. Oh, absolutely. Uh, right. So a lot of it is from the British Army and Navy. Uh, and you look at, you know, some of the most high performing combat teams uh, over the last 25 years, um, you know, Navy SEALs don't do it that way. Right. Uh, they don't give a damn, excuse my language, <laughs> um, you know, what your rank is. Can you get the job done? And to me, that's a lot more uh, like the civilian world uh, that, that we've become accustomed, accustomed to than, uh, than it was the military. Absolutely. Well, it, it was just easy to, there was a couple of reasons. I had a great Marine Corps career. I made E5 in, in 30 months and, and things were, things were progressing very well. But the idea that I could piss off one officer and ruin my, you know, ruin my life. Uh, and, and, and so, but it's not me, much different than a corporate I, job. If Believe you know. me, it was the same at my level too. Yeah. You, you were, you were one, uh, one Navy captain away from, uh, from, from having some pretty nasty duty assignments. So. Yeah. So it, I, I'm much better off in the civilian world, but the Marine Corps did set me up for the next stage in my life, which yeah, had me, you know, moving overseas and living overseas with my wife and family and serving, serving God as missionaries because, because overseas didn't seem like a big deal after having traveled to nine different countries. Compliments of the U.S. Navy, mind Absolutely. you. Absolutely. <laughs> And, and doesn't it give you just that, that little bit of edge, I think, if you do it right uh, in your civilian life, uh, to have that kind of discipline and, and to, to know that there's a reserve in you that you can fall back on, uh, that it is never tested in civilian life. It, it was only tested in the military. Um, and having that uh, in your back pocket, I, I think, is important. I, I think it is a, an advantage uh, that most people who transition from the military into civilian life, I don't think they, they give that enough credit. Ooh, I, I really like that. I think, uh, you know, at the time in the, it was basically the late nineties and mm -hmm. 2000, my wife and I moved to Bogota, Colombia, and mm -hmm. everybody thought we were crazy. And, and of course for us, it was like my, we had five other options. And, but my first instinct when I saw the list was, I need to go there because no one else will. Yeah. And, and that was because of, that's the same reason I joined the Marine Corps. I need yeah. to go there because so few will. You run towards the sound of fire <laughs> and not away from it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and really that's been my life in ministry was leaning into the mess in people's yeah. lives. And, and, and coaching is now very similar. I'm, I'm leaning into the challenges in their business and life and, and helping them grow, you know, grow through that to, to get to where they want to go. Yeah. And you're, so. you're leaning in on the spiritual side. I'm leaning in on a financial side. Um, and, uh, you know, if we can find somebody to lean in on the physical side, I think we've got all, all three pillars. I, kinda, I like kinda it. Covered. <laughs> I like that, that triangle. That's, that's pretty good. So let's talk a little bit about, about history and, sure. and how you've, obviously you have a love for history. You've written a couple books tying history to, to the financial markets and, and decision-making that way. But let's talk about how, how is that beneficial? How has that helped you in see the, see the world in a different way? Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I was, a I was a history major in college. Um, you know, when I got my degree from the university of Pittsburgh, um, I got a business major or excuse me, a business masters, uh, at the university of Arizona. I just, I just messed that one up badly, and I'm going to hear it for that. But uh, Arizona State University. Uh-oh. Um, and uh, when I started my own practice, I was really looking for some way to kind of marry those two ideas together. Um, and I was also looking for a way to communicate with clients that wasn't the same old, you know, bar charts and pie charts and you know, performance graphs and, and all those things are important, um, you know, tangentially to, to the practice. Uh, but I wanted a way to just talk to people in my own voice about things that I cared about and thought were interesting and see if they shared the same interest. 
Um, and not all of them do <laughs> that, that that's been brought to my attention a, a number of times, uh, but that's okay because, um, I think even if they've only ever read one article or one snippet of, of one of my books, they've heard my voice, they understand, you know, that, that I have some thoughts, uh, that are my own. And, uh, that's an important piece of the puzzle when, when you're hiring somebody to do what I do for folks. Mm. Absolutely. Let's let's dig a little deeper into that idea of of niche and being able to be your authentic self. Yeah. Um, You know, honestly, it's not something that I'm always uh, that good at. I think in finance, we've put up a lot of walls. Uh, You know, there have been a lot of movies uh, about financial advisors. Most of them don't paint us in a particularly good light. And fighter pilots, yeah, uh, new new one coming out this year allegedly. Although it's been Some, pushed back someday, a few times. yeah, someday, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I prefer the uh, the way we are made out in those movies versus movies like The Wolf of Wall Street and, and Wall Street and you know Wall Street <laughs> Two. And, um, but you know, my point is, and, and what I've always tried to get across to clients is, you're not hiring for a position; you're hiring a person. And you're hiring a person to consult you on what I would maintain is probably the second most emotional thing in your life. And that's your money. Uh, First, obviously, being family in your relationships. Um, So, you know, it's it should be a process. It should be something that people give a lot of thought to. But usually in my, you know. 15 years of experience. It rarely is. Mm. Uh, Usually it's somebody they had inherited from mom and dad or that, um, uh, that they found through a coworker or, or somebody who recommended them and they've never really done the due diligence to figure out why, you know, what, what makes that person a good fit for me. Mm. Well, and and that's interesting, right? It's such a, a vitally important decision and yeah. to not to not scrutinize it and to not um or to scrutinize the wrong things you know <laughs> i mean there, there's a lot of that too um you know uh, it, it's easy to become wrapped around uh, the wrong concepts and make choices that don't uh, that don't particularly advance your own goals and that's something i talk a lot about too uh, in at least one of my books is is the cognitive dissonance that exists in the modern human brain. You know, hmm. we, we were not built to make these types of decisions financially. Uh, we were not built to deal with uh, things like social media um, and the constant uh, feed of news out there. And yet we, we, we kid ourselves into thinking that we're good at this, that we're good at making these decisions and we're not, we're just not. <laughs> well, I- and uh, I, I lead it back to the brain is still expecting the saber-toothed tiger to come out and grab us. <laughs> I, I totally believe that. Uh, fight or flight is real. Um, <laughs> and that is not a good place to be in, you know, when you're talking about making money decisions. Um, you know, fight or flight is probably the last uh, the last thing you want going through your head uh, when you're well, trying you to make a decision. Yeah, you mentioned Kurt earlier, and, and, and I agree with you know, Kurt's assessment that there's probably 80, 90% of people that are out there living in the anxiety and stress equivalent to the fight or flight, right? Basically their entire waking time. And of course, if they're awake in that state, then they're probably sleeping in that state yep. and, and living in a, in a level of stress and anxiety that our, our brain is not designed for. And there's no, there's no downtime from it. There's no time where the body's not getting this adrenaline dump and all these other, you know, it's not getting the happy chemicals to go yep. along with the, the fight or flight. Well, it, it's interesting. I, I've heard um, another podcaster whose name I won't mention because he's in a, a little bit of trouble right now. But I've heard him say. <laughs> you just did. <laughs> it's all good. I like it. I, I've heard him say that most Americans don't know what it's like to feel good. Um, you know, and he's talking about it more from the physical perspective. Uh, because we are so out of shape, you know, 70% of us are either uh, uh, overweight or morbidly obese. Um, and those are, are real problems that, that trickle down to the point where you just forget what it's like to feel good. You forget what it's like to not be on an average of four and a half medications uh, a, a day. You forget what it's like to wake up in the morning 
and charge out of bed and 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 get rolling. Um, and that's unfortunate. And I think that the same thing is true of mental, right? Uh, a lot of us just don't know what it's like to feel good. And you, and you mentioned that that medication, right? We've we've become so accustomed to, and I think it started in our parents' generation. If you have a headache, you take aspirin, and now it's passed mm -hmm. on to if you have this symptom, you need a medication to to eliminate it, rather than rather than the ability to ask your body, what what do you need, right? And right. What, what is going on in there? Oh oh, we should exercise more. Oh, we should eat differently. Oh, we should. <laughs> We should exercise our mind more and, and do yep. these things and experience, you know, the positive chemicals that the body already has designed for us. You know, the dopamine, the serotonin and all of these things that are designed to help us experience joy. And of course, I think the medications, you know, kink that tube to get rid of the anger, anxiety and stress. Mm -hmm. But on the same hand, they get rid of the joy, the happiness. And, the, and so we have these people that are experiencing life with with little or no emotion. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I, I firmly believe that the opposite of that, the people who have figured it out, those are the true one percenters. Mm. Uh, I mean, we, we, we love, and by the way, this is evolutionary, right? We, we love to look at the, the ultra rich and, and make our comments about, uh, about them based on, you know, whatever our personal feelings are. Uh, that's normal. You know, the, the, you always want to take down uh, or want to be looking to take down the leader of the herd. Um, but I believe the true one percenters are the ones who figured out how to be physically well and physically healthy uh, with as few medications as possible. Uh, and also to quiet their mind, to allow themselves to think, to understand how they think and to improve how they think, right? Mm. Because most of the mistakes we make day after day in our in our cognitive cycle are things we could improve on if we were aware of what we were doing. Um, mm. And that's that too is is just extremely rare. Well, like Henry Ford said, thinking thinking is the hardest thing to do, and that's why so few people would do it. <laughs> yeah, and it's how you get things like social media, right? Social media is nothing more than confirmation bias uh, wrapped up in some memes and pictures. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. It's designed to feed you exactly what you want and only that. So, uh, it, you know, it's a disaster from, from a financial uh, perspective. Well, and the, and the truth is the media, the news has become the same thing. And, and people, yeah. people are blaming the media for all of this, but, but it's supply and demand. This yep. is what you're demanding. This is what gets you to watch so that we still get paid. Same thing with social media. This yep. is what gets you to watch so we get paid. And people are, aren't, they're not even cognizant enough to understand where's the money, right? Because if you ask where the money is, then you understand the motivation and the driver behind the source. Yep. And, and, and I agree with you on both social media and the media that they've transitioned to storytelling that feeds our incessant need to <laughs> participate in drama. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I hope you'll forgive me for this one, Robert, but in, in, my, in my book, I call it the unholy trinity of internet, television, and social media. Mm. Um, and it is, you know, if you're too wrapped up in it, it is just a cesspool uh, mentally. Um, but even if you're not, it can be very dangerous from, from a financial perspective because you're not getting the full spectrum of ideas. You're just, <laughs> you're just not. Right. And you're only getting fed the ideas that are in congruency with the things you're looking at. Correct. So I love that confirmation bias because I'm uh, there's there's definitely things that are happening in our culture and things that are happening in the world that mm -hmm. 20 years ago were considered negative to the point of evil. Mm -hmm. And now because we have this confirmation bias and because I, you and I understand the power of thought and the power of, of telling ourselves every day, I am this, I am this, I mm -hmm. am this. And then I go on the internet and I find out, Oh, Hey, there's a couple more people that are just like me. And so it's okay that I am this because there's a few other people. Whereas 20 years ago, we would have said, Oh, that's a terrible evil thought. I need to 
I need to change my thoughts. Right. And you let it go. But well, today with that confirmation bias, it not only continues, but we've got a group of people surrounding them saying, hey, this these these things are these thoughts are, are OK. They're 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 just normal. Right? Well, that's uh, that's how it was sold to us. Right. You know, Facebook was going to uh, basically open up the world to discourse. Well, how's how's that working out so far? Um, you know, uh, and, and I get it. That was the utopian view of of what these platforms could do. Uh, I think anybody who's experienced the reality and still keeps diving in um, at, at a regular at a regular rate really needs to take a look and figure out if that's uh, if that's the best thing for their mental health and, and for their mental wealth uh, as well. Well, and just recognizing that that utopian view was prior to the money, right? <laughs> the money right, changed. It, it, it was before the advertisements. <laughs> the money changed. The uh, money yeah. changed their motivation and their drivers. And and, and now their drivers are, are all about the money. And how Once we- you transition from a, uh, a technology that, that provides a, a link between people to a technology that provides ads to people, the whole thing... The, the whole thing, in my mind, uh, becomes unworkable uh, just because of, of the way the algorithm now works. Absolutely. And and just recognizing that their goal is to keep you on the platform. And so they're going to show you whatever is going to keep you there yeah. <laughs> so they can show you more and more ads because that's how they get paid. Yep. That's <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So you mentioned connection and the value of connection. And obviously that was kind of the root of those social media platforms. But as a business owner, how valuable is is this human connection and and how important is it for growing your business uh it, it's been it's been interesting because you know covid changed a lot of that and, and and that's definitely something we should we should delve into uh but when i started the business in 2016 what i what i loved about it was the ability to no longer have an office mm. right so I, i've been doing this virtual office thing long before it was cool uh, and long before it was necessary. Um, but what I loved about it specifically was instead of people coming in to see me in an office and talking to my receptionist and then coming back to my office and me sitting behind a desk and having this you know, conversation, I was now sitting at people's kitchen tables. Mm. I was sitting in their dining rooms. I was sitting on their back porch having coffee. Um, and I was dealing with people on that level, whereas I never had before. Um, and it's different. You see people differently when you've seen their home life. You treat them differently when you've seen their home life. They treat me differently because I've been in their home. Um, and that to me was one of the great benefits of branching out and doing things a, a little bit differently. Nice. So let's talk about the transition, the the necessary transition yeah. to, to the virtual space and, and trying to have connection and relationship through screens. Um, it's hard. And I, and I, I know that's, you know, breaking news from, from 2020, but um, <laughs> it's, it's been difficult to maintain that level um, of, I guess, rapport with clients mm. when it's like this. Now, now you and I, having had some some media training and understanding you know uh, the way these things are supposed to work you know we can keep a conversation going on, on screen we'll we'll see but you know I, chances I would, are I, I would guess we can keep this going for a while um it's different with especially older people um and it's it it's a challenge it's been a real challenge to the business i'm looking forward to things opening back up again and, and getting on an airplane and, and going to see people and, and do all that I've done some of that um throughout the pandemic but um it 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 really needs to for my business be more personal it needs to be face to face and uh, i'm looking forward to getting back to it i i understand i built my entire business the same way and and, and have struggled to find the same intimacy and the rapport, yeah. use the word rapport um, through through the internet. Although it's expanded my ultimate audience, you know, sure. to pretty much the English speaking world, um, which is, is significantly larger, but of course, harder to get attention. 
Yeah, it's better than nothing, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but but I don't really want that inscribed on my tombstone. He did the things that were better than nothing. You know, that's not, <laughs> well, not right. where I want to be. That's that's a great that's a great transition to let's talk about character and, and character development or or, or personal growth and, yeah. and the importance of of not doing <laughs> better than nothing. Uh, yeah, I mean, my thing you know, one of my pillars is being or doing something every day, just a little bit better than I did it the day before. Um, and it doesn't really matter what that is. It could be uh, tennis, which which I, I've become passionate about. It could be, uh, you know, working with a client and figuring out uh, uh, an issue. It could be, um, it could be something I read or something I listen to, or a lecture that I watch that you know, builds, uh, uh, builds some mental capacity. Uh, but just doing something better every single day. Um, and I think if you if you look back, uh, that I, that I wouldn't mind on my tombstone, I'll put it to you that way. He did, he did something better every day. I mean, it's it's absolutely a, a fantastic goal, harder to track unless you're unless you're very intentional. And so let's talk about your, you've mentioned a couple routine kinds of things. Let's talk about your routines that help you stay intentional. Yeah, well, I learned uh, a couple of things um, from flying airplanes. Um, you know, number one is to learn from other people's mistakes. <laughs> um, in, in our business, those mistakes were often written in blood. Um, so you, you took that type of thing very seriously. Um, and the other thing is, um, I, you know, using checklists. Uh, yeah, you know, again, your memory is not what you think it is. Uh, it's not, it's not actually built the way you think it is and it's very imperfect. So if you don't have something to guide it, uh, you, you are inviting, uh, sometimes catastrophic consequences. So that's the reason why, you know, when, when you, when you get on board, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that Southwest airlines flight and you look to the left as you're boarding, you know, those guys and gals in there have checklists and they use those checklists every single time they start an airplane so that they don't screw it up ever. Um, and I, I do the same thing with uh, a lot of things in, in my life and, and in varying different degrees. I still use paper sometimes. I, you know, there's all kinds of computer programs and widgets and um, uh, stuff on my phone and, and I'll use it all. Uh, but the key to me is not trusting, not trusting my brain because, uh, you know, I know better at this point. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, uh, that those ideas and things that you think, oh, that idea is so good. I'll never forget it. And then when you go to write it down, you're like, oh, wait, well, I just lost it. That was world yeah. peace. That was going to save, that was going to solve world hunger. And yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. I mean, there, there's a reason it took me four years to write my my first book, and that's one of them. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I like I like that you just put it. We just don't understand how the brain works and how the how the memory works, and 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 that's a lot of what I talk to clients about. It's a lot of what I've talked to uh, you know hosts like you about is just retraining and recaging our brains and understanding where we're going to fall short. Now, I, I know that I can't go through a tax season with all the changes in the tax code without a checklist. I just can't do it. My, my brain doesn't work that way. And that's all right. Some people's it does. Um, but very, uh, very few could handle that IRS code in a, in a, without a checklist. But, but boy, do you want to party with the guys who can? Um, <laughs> he, he said sarcastically. Um, no, it's... Uh, it's really kind of a passion of mine to, to just take a high level view of, of thought, right? What, what is the process? Uh, and I don't mean, you know, at the, the physical level with, you know, where the neurons and the synapses and all that stuff, cause that's science and, and that's, that's not my game. Um, but, uh, but just a high level of how did we get here? Um, how long have we been doing the things that we're trying to make ourselves do now? And the answer is not very long. And why do we think that, that we should be good at them? Um, so I, I think just approaching you know, every day from that perspective, um, 
there are things you can do each and every day to get better. Uh, and they're usually fairly small things. Hmm. Well, absolutely. Because if you try to do too big of things, you'll typically procrastinate <laughs> and not take it on because you, 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 your potential for success is, is so much more of a limitation, right? Yeah. It's the specificity of goals that makes them achievable. Um, hmm. And if you are not uh, being specific about what you're trying to do, and I'll use, you know, financial planning as an example. Uh, if you're not specifically looking at what cash flow you need and what year uh, that you want to retire, how do you know how you would want to invest? How do you know uh, what things are possible or what you could invest in? You don't. You have to start with the goal and you have to be very specific about that goal uh, before you start adding all kinds of strategies and tactics to the mix. Hmm like that. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, The Entrepreneur Mindset Shift, Growth Characteristics of Success by Robert C. Peterson. Available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at addvalue2life.com, addvalue2life.com forward slash shift. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. Obviously, knowing where you're going is very helpful in choosing the next step. Same thing for entrepreneurs, right? I mean, Absolutely. you know, a, a lot of us probably came into this on a wing and a prayer um, <laughs> because things happen in our lives and all of a sudden we find ourselves um, in this situation but that doesn't last long. Uh, you know, if you're successful at it, it means you've put some thought into where you want to be uh, and how you're going to get there. Yeah. Some people are jumping and building their wings, but <laughs> you've got to hurry. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I came into this uh, because I, I, I left a job um, with interesting circumstances and found myself the day before Thanksgiving, uh, you know, filing paperwork to, to, to start my own firm. So, uh, you know, like I said, I think some people come into it that way, that may be how the idea is born, uh, but it's certainly not how it matures or grows over time. That certainly makes the decisions at Christmas a little more challenging. Yeah, that was an interesting Christmas 2016. <laughs> I definitely understand and am sympathetic and know that <laughs> we don't always get to choose the timing of our leap. No, but, you know, I look back at my nine years in the Navy and I never missed a Thanksgiving or a uh, Christmas at home. So that was my penance. Wow. 2016 was my penance because uh, both of them were, were, were kind of uh, kind of hectic that year. I imagine <clears throat> that's a pretty good blessing to spend nine years in the Navy and not miss not miss a Christmas. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah. I was back in the days of uh, six month deployments. We would leave in June and, and be back in mid-December. Uh, but, uh, 2003, when I, when I kind of left the, uh, uh, left the air wing and went to be a, an instructor, that was about the last time they did a six month deployment for a long time. Yeah. Well, six months was enough to destroy my marriage. So I can't even imagine these guys <laughs> one, one and two. I was two fortunate to go through two deployments and be single both times, uh, <laughs> because you're absolutely right. It's, uh, it just seems like, you know, Day-to-day -day relationships have enough stress in them, but when you put that kind of distance, you know, this is back in the days when when email was a privilege, not a right. Uh, this is back in the days when there were no cell phones. Um, you know, you weren't sending text messages uh, or anything like that to loved ones. It was uh, it, it was pretty sparse as far as oh, the no. contact. My six months was waiting for the helicopter to drop the bag yeah. of mail from last month on the deck. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so yeah, we're mail was you know, two two weeks minimum two weeks behind, if not a month, and and or phone calls from from Korea or the Philippines are you know two and three dollars a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I I'm definitely more sympathetic to to that, and of course I married my high school sweetheart after my first year in in the Marines, and and uh, so we both turned 21 while I was deployed. Yep, and so. <laughs> Not necessarily good things happen at that age. <laughs> so I, I had um, a few of my sailors do similar things. <laughs> I it's a it's a pretty large club. Yeah. yeah. 
thankfully at the time prostitutes and drinking were the only two options and i chose drinking which isn't necessarily better than prostitutes but <laughs> at least at least i didn't bring anything home right so and, and drinking can be cured yeah exactly <laughs> so oh all right got a little distracted there <laughs> so i'm i'm interested in in these historical pillars and you don't have to necessarily share that you know what they they particularly are but how how did you i guess share your interest in history and and tying it to you know helping people better understand their financial choices you know the first thing i would would point out there um and and this is not my my phrase um but the first thing you have to realize is that americans um, aside from being, you know, 70% being uh, overweight or obese, I would say probably 70% are also uh, historically illiterate, uh, meaning they have no concept of, of where we are as a society and how much we've, we've progressed. Um, and that's a problem, I think, when, when you don't, uh, when you can't look backwards, it makes it very difficult to understand where you are, um, and it makes it even harder to look forward. Uh, so to me, history was a, has always been a way to put myself in a situation where I can under, better understand the things around me, mm. better understand why we do the things the way we do them, better understand uh, how people have changed and how our society and our morals and our um, the way we do things has evolved in most cases and devolved in, in, in some cases as well. Um, you know, important to remember that we're, we're, we're still, you know, we're still monkeys. We still do dumb <laughs> things um, in retrospect. And, uh, you know, a couple thousand years of evolution is, is a, you know, a thumb, a finger snap in, in the whole timeline of the universe. Um, or, or at least that's what Neil deGrasse Tyson told me um, <laughs> when I was when I was listening to his book. He didn't actually call me personally. <laughs> uh, so you know, to me, it's all about context, right? If if you don't know where you've been, you can't know where you're going. And I've used you know some uh, some historical pillars, um, or I've used historical you can call them vignettes um, to just tell a story kind of hook people in and then say, look, this is how this is, this is how this works in a financial sense. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Maybe that's the best way to, to, to do this. Um, for me, it's, it's disturbing how often people uh, engage in, you know, cognitive biases where they think of one tool and are completely on, and there are psychological studies about that, are completely unable to figure out a different way to use that tool. Um, there's a famous, they called it, the, I believe they called it the matchbook study, where they gave uh, participants a book of matches um, and a candle and a thumbtack. And they said, get the lighted candle attached to the wall. And people could not figure out how to do it, right? That, you know, there are all kinds of crazy photos about what they what they attempted to do. But the answer was dump the matches out, pack the uh, the box, the wall, put a candle in it, which seems so obvious, right? But your brain doesn't see, doesn't naturally see a box of matches as a shelf to put a candle in. Okay. So the story I tell in, in the book is, is about um, Alexander the Great um, and the, the story of him um, cutting the Gordian knot, okay? The, 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 the fable or the, you know, the, the story that's been passed down through history is he walks up, he sees this knot that has stood for centuries uh, the idea was that whoever uncoiled the knot would be the ruler of Asia. And he looked at it and he said, okay, took out his sword and he cut the knot. Um, again, if people tell you that 
you have to undo this knot, but they don't tell you you can cut it, then, then maybe your brain never gets to that point. So it's called functional fixation. It's something we see a lot in, in financial circles where uh, people have been taught that stocks do this and bonds do this and CDs do this. And none of that may apply. Some of it might, but none of that might apply going forward. Right. Well, they, and they've been taught that by their Uncle Joe, who's living on Social Security in a mobile home. <laughs> or, you know, they've been taught by their depression era parents or, or whatever it is. We, we form these. Uh, the psychological term is actually meme, M-E-M-E, -E -M -E, uh, which has been obviously dragged into the social media sphere and, and, and become something else. But we form these memes very early on. Um, and if we're not willing to break out of them or we don't know to break out of them later in life, they can affect our decision-making. And it's, uh, yeah, it's something we battle every single day. And um, the best thing you can do is get a client to, to sit down uh, and look at themselves in a rational manner and say, wow, yeah, you're right. I, I do have some, some weird hangups that have nothing to do with my situation today. Um, and, uh, I hope you'll help me, uh, you know, work, work forward from this. Well, awareness is, is so powerful, right? I, first, I want to acknowledge the, the, the historical ignorance, you know, I, my first opportunity to be deployed was to Egypt and spent 30 days in, in Egypt, you know, yeah. the desert, but also got to spend a day in Cairo. And, and for me, the pyramids were the most impressive thing. I mean, it's a single tomb for a single human being and just mm -hmm. obviously the construction and all the things related to that. And I was just like in awe. And every other guy didn't even want to talk about it. I was like, well, it's just a pile of rocks or whatever, you know? And, right. and there was just no connection. And I'm like, y'all don't, you you're missing it. You don't get it. Right. Like, this, is a, this is a big deal. Something, you know, incredible happened here for people to have built this and, and, and it was just that there's a complete disconnect um, to the historical value and, and historical importance of, you know, basically some of the oldest surviving remnants of our human history. Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, I, you know, total at the age, of course, I was young and immature and, and just totally frustrated with how, how do you not get it? How do you, right? <laughs> you know, um, and, and that second thing, the bias, I think of the, the, the square with the nine dots. Right. And, and you, have, you can use four lines to create a triangle. Uh -huh. And of course, the only way you can do that is if you're willing to draw the draw the lines outside of that little square. Right. And, and so obviously so few people, unless you've seen it, yep. can can their brains just won't allow them to do it. And it and it, it's a learned skill. It's absolutely a skill that that you can learn to recognize your bias. Right. Um, I think of. I had the blessing to visit Cuba, and and one of the things that the Cubans have done is is adapting stuff to survive, and and you know fixing American cars with Russian parts, and yep. and, and just doing whatever it takes to so adapting a tool that was made for this to do this because they didn't have this plethora of options. Yeah, <laughs> have the exact replacement part to have the and and the idea that. You don't use that filter. This thing's never going to work, right? Yep. Um, and so I, I was just th that's such an impressive, you know, opportunity to get to see what happens when you don't have all of these conveniences. And, and what went through my mind, um, and the Cuba thing is interesting. Let's remember to go back to that. But um, in my mind, when when I was writing the book. I kept saying to myself, okay, that's a cool store or that's a cool experiment that they ran, you know, the, the uh, square with the dots or the, the candle with the, the match, uh, matchbook. Can you honestly imagine sitting in a room with somebody and telling them that story and not having their eyes glaze over, right? <laughs> How do I take that? and fit it into a bigger narrative to where maybe people will pay attention. Uh, and that's how I came up with the, you know, the Alexander the Great story. And uh, clearly I, I stole that from Oliver Stone and his, uh, <laughs> his epic uh, Alexander the Great. Um, but, but no, it, it was really just an effort. You know, you tend to remember things in story format. Again, mm. that, that is evolutionary, right? Absolutely. We didn't, 
before writing, that's how we passed on knowledge through stories. And uh, there was a little bit of that in the back of my mind um, uh, as I was writing. Well, obviously the value of story is still, our culture runs on story. Obviously Netflix is evidence of yeah. that because basically they're sharing stories and the better stories they create, the more people watch. And well, and, and at least, and at least in Western culture, it's the Bible, right? There's <laughs> there's a, a long history of stories handed down uh, about how to conduct yourself. Um, and uh, again, most of those uh, were not in written format, at least to begin with. They were For thousands they were of years. Verbal histories, yeah. Yeah, incredible. So interesting. I, and on the Cuba thing, it, it, it made me think of um, how people who have to figure stuff like that out. And in Cuba, it's everybody. Uh, in, in, in the U.S., it's next to no one. Uh, but people who have that experience of having to figure stuff out on a day-to-day -day basis, I think they are, without really knowing it, they're reconditioning their mind to problem solve. Mm, right? Absolutely. And, and what what I immediately thought of uh, when you were talking about Cuba is an experience that, that my wife and I had um, four years ago now, where we kind of on a whim um, sold everything we own, loaded up the office into a, a, an RV and spent nine months uh, traveling back and forth across the U.S. And when you don't have the level of control over your day-to-day -day life that you usually do, you very quickly, you know, get to understand what it's like in a very small way uh, to live in a third world country uh, mm -hmm. because you don't control everything out there on the road. Stuff happens to you. You got to figure out how to fix things. You got to figure out how to, you know, improvise, adapt and overcome, as my Marines, Marine friends used to say. Um, and, uh, you know, that is a, a big part of critical thinking that I think in the first world, we're, we're probably just too used to, if I need something, I go online and order it. If I want to know something, I Google it. Uh, you know, there's not a whole lot in your day to day where you need to figure out how to problem solve. And there's, and there's so little in our school system that's, yeah. that's teaching that skill. We're really just cramming in information for you to regurgitate information for you to regurgitate versus well, versus actually putting your brain to, you know, functioning and seeing, all right, what happens if you try this? What happens if we do this? Yep. What happens if we only have these, you know, I think of Apollo 13, right? I mean, one of the great parts of that story is, you know, they throw all the parts on the table, said, this is what those guys have. We've got to figure out how to make it work. Yep. And, and it all, you know, Apollo 13 started with a failure. Right. And, 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 and I think that that is a good point that we've become too afraid to fail and problem solving is nothing more than failing and learning from it. Right. So, you know, um, how many times did I fail on the way from uh, middle school when I decided I wanted to fly airplanes to, you know, strapping on an F-14 and, 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 you know, catapulting off uh, the front of the, the aircraft carrier I can count at least three. Um, and uh, every time I just kept moving forward and, and finally figured out a way to get there. Um, but I, I think that that that's a piece that I'm going to sound like a, like a grumpy old man here, but <laughs> that's a piece where I think uh, generationally we become a little bit afraid to fail. And if you're afraid to fail, then you're you're not going to learn the things that you could learn through failure, critical thinking, trying to re rework the problem um, and get yourself to where you, you've got a living spacecraft again in the case of uh, Apollo 13. Absolutely. And 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 there's so little in our life that depends on it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. the that's the thing. And I think what makes entrepreneurs a little bit different is because at, at some level, their life depends on it. Their, the food in their fridge, the, the roof over their head depends on them taking a little bit more risk than the average. Now, there are plenty, there's lots of entrepreneurs that are just doing a job and they happen to own their job. Right. 
But the entrepreneurs that are innovating and making a difference in the world are the ones that have been willing to step out, willing to face failure and learn from failure as quick as they can. And, and, and a little bit because that evolutionary part of them, their life depends on it. Yeah, I, I mean, you can probably tell me better, um, but in my mind, the entrepreneur, um, that is the person who, the good ones, the ones that last, right? Have, have you ever met an entrepreneur that was a pessimist? <laughs> nope. No, because you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't take that kind of risk if you thought that, uh, the world was going to hell tomorrow. It just, it wouldn't make sense. Um, so, you know, that's one of, you know, that's one of my big uh, pillars or, or foundations in my life is optimism. Mm. You know, I, I couldn't in good faith put people into investment portfolios for the future without being optimistic uh, about the future. Yeah, and if the sky is falling. It's hard to put a, hard to put your money anywhere but under the mattress, right? And again, as as a historian, you know, I've got the facts to pack it up. You should be optimistic. Uh, you know, we're no longer living to to forty five in in uh, in drudgery and misery uh, like we were just two hundred years ago. Um, you know, two hundred years ago, most Americans were farmers, uh, still scraping out a living. Uh, you know, literally hand to mouth. Uh, we've come a long way in 200 years. Uh, we should celebrate that. Uh, is there more to do? Absolutely. Um, and uh, you have to recognize uh, the faults of humanity al along with uh, the, the good things that have happened. Um, but if you spend too much time on, on the, ledger, the ledger of the faults, uh, if you become a pessimist, you're, you're just not going to be good <laughs> at starting a business. It's not going to go well for you. No, absolutely. I you know, another place where I I really love just just a little historical thinking is the opportunity we have to travel and mm. and and obviously I've I've visited twenty three countries. My uh, my great grandfather was a was a pastor in New York in and clearly upper class, and he spent six months on a cruise ship traveling mm -hmm. traveling the world, and and just to imagine that. But even in in our travels you know, driving from state to state or, or across and thinking about what it would take for a family on the East Coast to to get to Colorado, yep. then to choose to look at those mountains and say, we can get to the other side, <laughs> right? Now I can do it. I can do it in half an hour. I can be at the top of the Continental Divide and be down the other side in mm -hmm. another, another 20 minutes, you know, and be skiing pretty fast. And and I it just just what it took over these last hundred years to develop, obviously, transportation, to develop this highway system and and to develop the opportunity for us to to, you know, be safe from place to place without getting, you know, we're not going to starve. We're not going to yeah. run out of water. We're not going to have to kill and, and, and get our food and we're not going to be killed by the people that want the land that we're using or on or, you know, there's just so right. many things that have changed in the last hundred years, hundred, you know, 200 years. And, and, and we're incredibly blessed. And I think for me, having gratitude for these things and just the, the greatness of our opportunity and the security we have in pursuing opportunity. It's interesting. You mentioned that, uh, you know, especially the, the mountains and, and, and uh, Colorado. There's a story I tell in, in my first book. It's called History Lessons for the Modern Investor. There's the plug. Um, <laughs> but I, I tell the story. And if, if you're not familiar with this, go look it up. Uh, it, it's it's very cool. Um, Wilson, Hi Wilson Price Hunt uh, was a guy uh, who was running a, uh, a storefront in New York and got recruited uh, to basically come out to St. Louis and lead an expedition uh, out to what is now Astoria, Oregon. Um, and uh, the amount of insanity that went on in that, I think it was like, it took them like six months. They, they tried to go, they tried to follow uh, Lewis and Clark's route. Uh, they ended up splitting up. Uh, one guy went certifiably insane. They lost at least three people in the party. Uh, I mean, it was just nuts. So 
when uh, Wilson Price Hunt got home from that uh, from that expedition, he never did it again. Right. He retired. He became like the uh, I think he was the postmaster in St. Louis going forward. And, and the point I drew out of that is, hey, risk is not for everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, the, the rewards may have been up there. I'm sure. Sure. They made plenty of money on beaver pelts and, and whatever it was back in the early 1800s. Uh, but not everybody goes through that process and goes, yeah, sign me up again. And that's OK. You know, sometimes you got sometimes you got to dip your toe into the risk pool. Uh, to decide if it's uh, if it's where you want to be swimming. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned your wife. You mentioned a nine month trip. I, I guess you and Kurt have have that kind of yeah. Uh, crazy we're we're, we're both a little nuts. Adventure bug. I, yeah. I love that. Um, what what's your favorite date memory with your wife? Oh gosh. Um, it's probably. There are a number of them. Uh, I'm going to circle in on one that was um, a few years ago. We we were we traveled through uh, France quite a bit. We actually uh, own a, a share of a of a property in in Provence, um, and we had the opportunity to go and eat um, at a Michelin three star restaurant. Um, it uh, uh, the chef's name is Paul Bocuse, if anybody out there uh, follows the uh, gastronomic world. But he was world famous. He, he kind of was the one of the tree branches where a lot of French chefs uh, branched out from. Um, and we were able to go and enjoy a meal there, I think, probably about three months before he died. Wow. Uh, so that was special. Uh, we, we both are very um, mindful about uh, food. Uh, you know, we, we, we love good, uh, cooking. Um, and that was the pinnacle of, uh, of food as far, as far as I'm concerned. So to be able to share that together, uh, in France, uh, was, was pretty amazing, pretty special. Nice. In fact, the menu still sits, uh, in, in our kitchen uh, today. Nice. That's another historical fascination for me is, is how a tire company is, is responsible for labeling the most important chefs in the world. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you know the story? Uh, I mean, essentially they were trying to label roadside roadside eateries and say, these are the places to go visit so you can use up your tires. They, yeah. They were smart entrepreneurs. <laughs> they were trying to get people out of the city and driving to other places to, to where they could go eat. And and today they they still are responsible for yeah. <laughs> giving restaurants these these stars. But of course, most of the people that are showing up there aren't driving in their own cars anymore. <laughs> no, I mean uh, that's uh, it's it was one of the the most amazing experiences that I, I probably won't do again because uh, it's it's spending. There's yeah, no I, doubt. I've, I have a couple mentors that that still are connoisseurs of their goal is to eat at Michelin restaurants regularly. <laughs> so yeah. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's as, a, as a financial but... guy, I'd say maybe go to go for the one star. Uh, <laughs> it's it's probably go. adequate. <laughs> exactly. All right. What's your big dream? Gosh. Um, I, I kind of already told you, my, my big dream is just to be a little bit better at something every every single day. Um, nice. I, I'm not the kind of guy who sits down and projects uh, too far in the future as far as, uh, you know, aspirations. Um, you know, when I'm 65, I'd, I'd like to be sitting in, in our little apartment in Chateau Neuf de Pop having a, uh, a glass of wine and uh, just enjoying life. Nice. Well, that's pretty excellent. Not everybody has a, a little apartment in France. So. No, we were again very fortunate uh, to to end up with that. We've got some great partners uh, who recognized uh, the uh, the lifestyle component uh, of being able to do something like that. It's definitely not a good financial investment. I'll be very honest about that. But just recognize its purpose. Yeah, that's absolutely. Right. Not everything so, has to be uh, about uh, about money. Absolutely. So you spent a an hour with an entrepreneur having coffee, you know, sitting, sitting at the coffee shop and you're going to leave them with Patrick's words of wisdom. What would you share? Um, 
you know, again, my, my foundations, and, and I think that uh, everybody has some derivation of this. Um, you know, my, my, one of my foundations I shared already is be optimistic, you know, have a sense of optimism. Um, I think you need some type of spirituality. For me, that's more of uh, philosophy and stoicism and, and, and history. Uh, but that varies, uh, I think, amongst uh, amongst entrepreneurs. And finally, is, is really having a sense of gratitude. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're we're here in a place. I, I try to get people to realize that we're at the pinnacle of, of human existence. It's very difficult sometimes for them to accept that, um, but but we are, and we Absolutely. need to have some gratitude for the people who've come before us uh, that that got us to this point. Uh, we need to understand that uh, it it ain't perfect out there, um, but there are some good ways to to make it a little bit better every single day. Whether that's you know the charities you work through, whether that's the Rotary Club, whether it's whatever, um, you know, making a difference and and not feeling like you have to post it on Facebook after you do it. Uh, <laughs> those are the things that I think really do move the world and, and, and move the world over the last 200 years. We just need to get back to some of the basics. Mm. Patrick, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for sharing so many great stories and so much wisdom. Appreciate you. Uh, it's my pleasure. Appreciate you. And uh, thanks for inviting me on the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode, Kevin Carton and Robert discuss the law of attraction and so many wonderful things related to abundance and our access to it. Kevin shares his belief that we must live in integrity, and he teaches about that we live in a reflective reality. It is important to take control of your thoughts and use them for your own good and the good of others. We each have the opportunity to stoke the fire for good in the world.